0: State Representative Bruce Franks just completed his first session as a member of the Missouri House. And lots of people around St. Louis had high expectations for this unconventional politician. In a special edition of Politically Speaking recorded live at Yaki's on Cherokee, Franks talked about the ups and downs of being a Missouri legislator. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum.
1: And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Reitens. Navy (laughs) SEALs running for governor, and I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason
2: and Joe. I'm going to push back.
0: Welcome to the Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. We are recording this show live from Yaquis on Cherokee Street in front of a great audience. Let's hear you clap right now. Bruce, well, Bruce. Oh, before we introduce our guest, I also <laughs> want to introduce my co-host.
1: Yeah, Joe Manis. Now, anytime we're recording, we are alive. We are live. <laughs> it's wow. just the difference is this time we have an audience.
0: Yes. Well, this is not being live broadcast. But although I would love to say that you're all here for Joe and I, I know most of you are here for our special guest today
2: Representative Bruce Franks from the 78th District.
0: See, my assumption there was correct. Um, <laughs> So uh, Representative Franks is the representative of the 78th district. We are in the 78th district right now. Yes, sir. Um, it, it just, just for people that may not know, uh, tell us what your district encompasses, what neighborhoods uh, of the city of St. Louis.
2: So my district encompasses um, Dutchtown South, Graboy Park, Benton Park, Benton Park West, um, downtown, not necessarily downtown West, um, Clinton Peabody, some of Lafayette Square, Old North, um, Tower Grove South, and that's about it. It's a lot of neighborhoods. Yes, yeah, it's a lot of neighborhoods, but it, it encompasses a bunch of different wards, basically everything from uh, 55 and Gasconade down to 70 and Branch and
0: everything in the middle. So one of the reasons that we wanted to have this here Is this was the place of what I called a political revolution in St. Louis? Absolutely. A bit hyperbole, but I really don't think it's that far from the truth. This is where you had your victory party after you defeated then State Representative Penny Hubbard in your in your revote. You won 75-25. And you know, there was a lot of excitement. Absolutely You, you had the support of a lot of ordinary people who I don't think were typically involved in politics, but this is when the work begins.
2: Absolutely. And we're going
0: to be talking about your first year in Jefferson City. So I want to just start off right off the bat. What was your first year in the Missouri House like? Was it everything you expected? Were there things that you didn't expect?
2: So actually, it was a lot better than what I expected um, as far as the process and the work. A couple different things were the, I learned about disenfranchisement. And I learned what disenfranchisement looks like, um, not just where I'm from and what I'm used to, but what it looks like in some of our rural areas. Um, and to learn that, that folks in, say, Pemiscot County um, are just as poor as the poor folks here. Um, so to see, what, to see the challenges and barriers in, in rural areas that, you know, that I'm not accustomed to, was um, that was probably the biggest like, eye-opener for me.
1: Now you mentioned that there were some things that, that were better. Mm
2: -hmm. Can
1: you give an example of things that were better than what you imagined?
2: So when I, when I went down, um, before we went down, they, you know, a lot of folks talked about Jeff city and, um, how the Republicans and Democrats, it was just kind of like, uh, like we would be fighting heavily each and every day. Um, like, it would be, like, kind of this hate-hate uh-huh. hate relationship. And that's not what it was. Um, of course, on the floor, yeah, we, we, had, we were polar opposites on a lot of different issues. Um, but one thing I realized is that they feel just as strongly about their issues as I feel about my issues. So um, I may not like their stance. Um, I may fight them 100% of the time. Um, But I respected where it came from, um, for the most part, for those who were genuinely um, fighting for their cause, even though I 100 percent wholeheartedly didn't agree with what they were saying. Um, But just realizing that you have your point of view. I have my point of view. We can respectfully disagree
1: now. Where did you stay while you're in Jeff City? I know a lot of state reps room together or different things.:
2: Oh no, I, I can't stay with nobody. So, uh, <laughs> so
1: did you have your own place or just kind of?
2: yeah i had I had my own apartment um right down the street from the capitol. it was it was accessible, it was small, it had a bed, had heat and, and air conditioning, so I was okay.
0: that's all you need. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the reasons why I was interested in your primary race in the first place was that your opponent, then-Representative Hubbard, had encountered a lot of flack among Democratic activists for voting with Republicans a lot. And I would have thought that more Republicans would have supported her, especially when the revote happened. That didn't really happen. And it seems like a lot of Republicans were willing to work with you, even though you didn't necessarily... Vote on Republican priorities a lot. In fact, you were very much outspoken. So, how did that happen? Because when you think about it from a logical standpoint, you you would think that that would have been a difficult thing to achieve. But it does seem like some Republicans were willing to work on you without work with you without you having to sell your political soul, so to speak. So, I'd I'd like you to explain that.
2: So, with um, with all due respect to uh, Miss Hubbard. Um, People will, people will let you get as far as you allow them to. Um, if, if people can use you um, in, in Jeff City, if they can use you for their own political gain or anything of that sort, then that's what they're gonna do. Um, me going down there, they kind of knew what, they knew exactly what they would get with me. And I kind of set that standard like day one is I vote for the people, I'm there with the people, And that's the only thing that matters to me. So anything outside of that, I can't be bought, I can't be swayed, pushed, or intimidated any other way. So I think once you set that, um, they kind of understand where you come from, um, and they respect it, uh, whether they agree with it or not.
1: Now, one of the interesting things for me, because I was in Jeff City that last week (laughs) when a lot of the stuff was coming down, was that you gave arguably two of the most emotional speeches on the floor during the entire week by either party we're talking about the state house here and that was on um the anti-discriminate the bill that would make it more difficult to file or win discrimination lawsuits known as sb43 and then the other uh provision which uh is to roll back the city of st louis's um increase in the minimum wage do you want to talk about what prompted you to really get especially on s b forty three I mean you got really uh, emotional when you were reading uh, some of the racial epithets that had been sent to you and different things. I was just wondering what propelled you, and what sort of reception did you get afterwards because the floor was pretty much dead silent during your speech
2: so one thing about um one thing that I learned is if you're going to talk, make sure you have something to say. And so I didn't get up and speak every single time in Jeff City. So when I got up to talk, um, they listened. And when it came to SB 43, um, that was something that we had been planning around, trying to get ready for, because we didn't know exactly when it was coming. Because you can add stuff to the calendar, and once it's on the calendar, after a few days, you could kind of just bring it up whenever. Whenever. Um, so we have been planning um, as, a, as a caucus how we were going to do it and what made sense, and we went back and forth, and we had some agreements, had some disagreements. Uh, one thing we agreed on, that, um, that I should be uh, one of the last to speak. And so with SB 43, the fact that Senator Romine um, was the one who sponsored this bill, and he owns a rent-to-own company and is being sued, um, for the very thing that he's trying to, you know, that he filed the bill for, um, that's a, not only a conflict of interest, we talk about the optics, we talk about pay-for-play, we talk about all of these different things that we can encompass in this, and we have it right in front of us, um, and so I opened up the speech, as you remember, I opened up the speech reading from that petition, um, and in that petition, um, we had a a, a African American woman who yes. was called out of her name um, they had a they had a map up in the back of the store with a s- circled area that said "Do not rent to that was a predominantly black area um, the only real black area in in that particular county uh, so i I started off reading i opened up with two quotes and then I started off reading for that and then I just went from the heart i didn't really prepare anything but I mean, we're talking about discrimination. We're talking about setting us back. Um, some of the arguments that we heard were that you know this puts us closer to federal standards, when really it pushes us way further um, than federal standards. And yeah. you can't you can't really cap um, you can't cap somebody being dehumanized. You can't justify somebody being dehumanized the way they you know the way that they would be able to get away with, whether it's women, whether it's because of age, whether it's because of race or anything else.
0: Well, what I was going to say was we've had a couple of supporters of SB 43 on our show, and what they've said is the standard right now to to win an employment discrimination suit is way too low. And I wanted to you to respond to those argumentations because I'm sure that a lot of those lawmakers are telling the governor those type of arguments as he decides whether or not he's going to sign this bill or not.
2: But I, and I'm going to say something that um, many... I I really don't care. So I'm gonna say something. Um, the the Missouri Chambers of Commerce um, is a proponent of this bill, and we if we look at campaigns, we look at all of these different things. We know the tie to the governor and who's donated, so on and so forth. Um, and you get into that, and then you start to understand where you know where people's uh, priorities are. And at the end of the day. I kept hearing that same argument we heard on the floor that um, these frivolous lawsuits. How can you call somebody being discriminated against frivolous? How can you call somebody who who who's being treated this way? Um, you say they're trying to get a dime up on the system and all these different things. When we're speaking, they were speaking from a pro-business, and they're forgetting to be pro-people um, because that's what it's about at the end of the day. And, and most of the folks haven't been. like until you until you've been discriminated against until you've been treated in a way that that you know um she was she talked about in that in that particular lawsuit um it's it's so to even the fact that we were even we even had this bill in front of us and we had to press a button, like I said on the floor. The fact that this is even a piece of legislation is a problem. The fact that it was even passed through so many committees on both sides of the aisle, um, and and you know on both sides of the chambers, not the aisle, um, and in front of us, and that's the reason why so many of us didn't vote. We decided that we were going to stand up and not vote. People come to Jefferson City all the time and press the no button. You press the no button and then you, you, you go do whatever it is you do afterwards, but you, you're comfortable because you press the no button and you voted the right way, so nobody's really going to attack you. No, we're not going to press the no button or the yes button or the present, but we're not voting on this because it shouldn't be in front of us in the first place.
1: Now, have you talked to uh, the governor or his staff? I know I, he's getting a lot of lobbying. In fact, he told MissouriNet just in the last day or so that he hadn't made up his mind yet.
2: So I haven't a governor ain't talking to me right now, but, um, the I haven't talked to him. I've been um, you know I've been posting stuff on Twitter since our governor uh, likes social media so much, and that's one of my biggest platforms. So I decided to reach out to him uh, via social media and via uh, messages on his door. So hopefully one of those will. Can will you elaborate on that me. a
0: little bit because it actually made a little bit of news because the governor went around. Hosting yeah. things on other people's doors. So,
2: so the actually the the uh, reason why we went to special session um, was uh, Representative um, Dianne Rong. He presented this bill. He was he's basically trying to get jobs. Um, now it's a lot of stuff surrounding that, and you know, at the end of the day, that's what he that was his goal to bring jobs to his community, um, and so the governor. I feel like the governor saw this as an opportunity, um, and so he got the folks up, he bought them up, and um, he got them on a bus and got them all riled up. And they were passionate, and rightfully so. And I, I would stand with any one of them, but I know exactly what the governor was doing. Um, and he went around and he posted uh, these notes on all of the on the senators' doors you know, basically telling them, you know, fight for jobs and so on and so forth. So I'm like, hey, that's a great idea. Um, and so I decided to, the first time I printed up the actual petition um, that, the, that the woman filed, um, the African-American woman filed from New Madrid, um, printed up a bunch of those and the second part that had the N-word in it to, so he can know how, you know, how, detri- how crazy this was, how bad this was. Um, And I also uh, printed out veto SB 43 and HB 1194, which is the um, minimum wage bill. And I posted those on his door. So within 30, 45 minutes, you know, staff came out and took them down because they were still there. So I said, you know what? Cool. I made a Facebook post. I said, everybody that supports minimum wage, email me a line, two lines, paragraph on why you support minimum wage. And so I just, the email started flooding in. So I waited and I waited till I took a nap and I set my alarm for 12.30 a.m. And so I woke up at 12.30, I went back to the Capitol um, and I printed out each and every response and I went up at one in the morning and posted it. Just covered his door, the sign next to the door, the wall next to the door. Um, Just so, I mean, you got to get it somehow. We going to be heard one way or another. Um, And so I got a great idea from the governor, so I ran with it.
0: I wanted to ask one more thing on this topic before we switch to minimum wage. When um, the House Democrats had a press conference urging the governor to veto SB 43, you brought up, and several other Democrats brought up, how they felt that the governor stepped up in a big way when the cemetery in University City was vandalized. And for full disclosure, my great-grandparents are buried at that cemetery. So it's something that I've been personally involved in. But I wanted you to sort of elaborate on that.
2: So if it, I don't know if many people remember, but the governor actually came out against SJR uh, 39, 39. Which, which, which
0: for, for everybody here, I mean, Joe, can you explain what that is before well, we continue?
1: Well, the, this is the one that you're talking SJR 39. Yes,
0: that okay. that was something that was the, debated last year. That had to do with the denying business yeah. denying yes. business to same-sex couples yes. for various things. Continue
2: and so with <laughs> he came out against SJR 39 when the and
1: he was the only Republican uh, candidate for governor who did so.
2: Absolutely. And so um, outside of that, when it came to the cemetery as you brought up which was you know which was a terrible incident he stood up um, and that gave me some you know uh, I was cautiously optimistic um, that you know he would do the right thing and so when you stand up to when you're standing up to discrimination and, and and these atrocities it would make sense that you would stand up to SB 43 which affects almost everybody you know, one way or another. Um, So as I said in the press conference, that's the governor that we need to show up. We need the governor that stood up um, against SJR 39. We need the governor that, you know, stood up uh, with the cemeteries, and we need him to veto SB 43.
0: So let's move on to um, a... You can clap, by the way. (laughs) I I am obviously... uh, not forbidding clapping during this live podcast, obviously. Uh, I do want to move on to the bill that we talked that Joe mentioned too, which is a bill that basically would nullify St. Louis's minimum wage increase for everybody here. Um, St. Louis's minimum wage is set to go up to eleven dollars an hour by next year. This has been—it was a pretty substantial fight at the Board of Aldermen that ended up uh, being successful for the advocates of a higher minimum wage in the city. Um, the bill in question would basically wipe that out and ban any other city from being able to raise the minimum wage within their city boundaries. So, um, you, I don't think the House Democrats really got to debate that much, debate that bill that much in the last day of the session. Is that true? First that's, of all, that's Correct. true. true. Um,
2: we got to debate it the first time around, um, but <laughs> the um, the last day of session was. The last day of session was my hardest day in Jeff City, Um, and when we got to, we ran through these bills, they just, they they were PQing and PQing and PQing.
1: Yeah, and and just so you know, PQ means moving the previous question and ending debate, so on that last day, most opposition to almost any bill was uh, glossed over. I mean, they really weren't allowing hardly any speeches. Yeah. So that way, they got through a whole bunch of bills that last
2: day. Yeah, absolutely. So when they were, they were PQing to get to all of these different bills, and we got to uh, the minimum wage bill, and then they attempted. Well, they actually did PQ, and when they PQ, I lost it. Um, I walked. I approached the dais. Um, with other Democrats behind me. Um, And, you know, I started yelling at the dais, like, out of all the bills, like, we haven't been able to talk on anything, but we have something that affects the city of St. Louis, and only the city of St. Louis right now, and you don't let any of the St. Louis representatives actually speak on it. Um, You you close off debate. That's not cool. Um, And when I said that, you know, it kind of... Raise the temperatures inside the chambers. And so we walked back and I'm boiling right now. And um, the floor leader walks up to me and he says, uh, he says, look, look, I apologize. We're gonna let you talk uh, on the emergency clause. And I said, no, you're not gonna let me talk on emergency clause, you're gonna let John Carpenter talk on emergency clause. John Carpenter did a great job on the emergency clause He's last a state time.
0: Representative from the Kansas City area.
1: Yeah, just so you know, the emergency clause—if that had been passed—what would be have put before the governor would have meant it go right away. I got it. No, no, no. You would. I'm talking yeah, about this. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I'm gonna explain that yes. too. Okay. So, the emergency clause came up, and like, like she said, if if the emergency clause would have passed, they would have took the um, minimum wage away instantly. Um, if not, it wouldn't go into effect until August the 28th. Um, we needed 109 votes. And so as as Joe went on and and talked, he inquired of me. And so you can do that on the floor. You can inquire somebody else, and we can have a conversation back and forth. Um, so he inquired of me, and we had a... He just asked me how I felt, and, you know... I poured my heart out in those, you know, couple minutes, and then he talked to Representative Peter Meredith, and Peter did a great job as well. Um, and we had also been working on a couple of the, um, a couple of the Republican House members who we know um, don't necessarily agree with emergency clauses, and we were able to flip a vote, um, and instead of 109, they got 108. So we got to keep minimum wage at least to August 28th.
0: So I I wanted to ask you, before we get into the reasons for the bill, I know from watching the debate on the Board of Aldermen that raising the minimum wage just in St. Louis wasn't a universally popular thing. I I know that you were in strong support of it. Why do you think it's a good idea for St. Louis to raise its own minimum wage, but potentially nobody else in the surrounding area?
2: So first off, I think that I think the state should raise the minimum wage to what we are fighting to raise the minimum wage to. Um, everybody should have a livable wage, no matter if you're in St. Louis City, St. Louis County, Scott County, Cass County, Montgomery, it doesn't matter. Um, but if they're going to allow... So they put the grandfather clause in the bills for us to raise our minimum wage, so we can be statutorily able to raise our minimum wage. We raise our minimum wage, they come back and say, no, that's okay, Uh, we we were just joking. And so if people don't have a uh, a livable wage, we run into everything that we're running into now. Um, People still got to eat, people got to put food on the table, and they're under the assumption that minimum wage jobs are... Um, starter jobs—they are jobs that teens work at McDonald's. And my mom raised us on white cast on a white castle paycheck until she can move forward and do better in life. Um, we have we have working parents who make minimum wage or make. Um, you know, a little bit over minimum wage, that's still not a livable wage, um, that has two and three kids that, you know, got bills, got all of these different challenges and barriers, um, who are we to tell them that they shouldn't be making a liv- livable wage because of their conditions, challenges, and barriers and the places that they're working? Um, they're, still, they're still trying to provide a, a food on the table and, and a house over their family's head, so, yeah.
0: Well, that's, that's, a, that's, that's your answer.
1: Do you, do you think that uh, the debate altered any minds in the House during the discussion? And even if this is signed, which it likely will be, and it goes into effect in August, do you think there will be a new battle over this in January? Will there either be other bills or a lawsuit? Just kind of, what are your thoughts about what happens so, next? So,
2: there will absolutely be a battle regardless. No matter what happens, we're going to fight. Um, I think that... So, I mean, call me, call me optimistic or whatever, but I think we actually did. Um, I think we actually did change some minds. I think a couple people truly understand what what we were fighting for and why we were fighting. Um, we just got to find the right people to articulate. We have to be able to articulate um, our reasoning for being there uh, because a lot of people get there and just sit there. And I think the the difference in... When we, as a freshman class, not just me, because we had an amazing freshman class, um, but I think the difference in us being there, we were able to talk passionately, we were able to fight passionately, but we were able to articulate our wants, our needs, and our demands, um, and I think that made it, you know, that kind of painted the picture for um, the folks on the on the other side of the aisle um, to truly understand what we go through in our communities. And some of the greatest conversations I've had. Um, have been with Republicans about um, the differences in my community and your community and how we feel about um, different issues. Some things um, we're just not going to agree on. Some things we just are going to fundamentally disagree on until the end of time. But there are those things that um, we can move the ball forward on, um, you know, to better Missouri and better the city of St. Louis.
0: I do want to talk about something that you were able to get Republicans to agree on um, during the debate over the budget. You put forth an amendment to, I think initially it was $6 million for youth summer jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it passed out of the House. It was kind of in jeopardy in the Senate, but eventually when it got past the finish line, you got about $4 million. Interestingly, I think somebody who fought very strongly on the Senate side was Senator Jamila Nasheed, who I think is on the budget committee or appropriations mm-hmm. committee somebody who didn't support you in your race. So I just wanted you to talk about that process and also maybe more generally, um, how you got to work with some people on the Democratic side that may not have initially supported you. Because I found that to be, I I know that you two had talked after the August campaign and I think that you had been willing to work together, but that was like a real tangible example of, of former political foes working together for the St. Louis community.
2: Absolutely. Um, so the, the budget, the $6 million for summer jobs, uh, once I saw that it got cut, that's a program um, that focuses on our youth in the most high-risk areas from the ages of 16 through 24. It's a program where I've been a 24-hour mentor um, for the past couple years, and I've helped coordinate a lot of things for the program, and it's a life-changing program. It's not just about summer jobs. Um, we're talking... Uh, financial literacy, financial empowerment, um, behavior modifications, we have so many different things that we touch on, um, and we provide that structure and that support system um, for young folks that that just don't have it and, and have so many challenges um, and so when I saw I got cut, I was like, "Look, we got to fight for summer jobs. you know I know how um, I know how great this program is, and so actually the to freshmen, Um, Crystal Quaid, Representative Crystal Quaid from um, Springfield, Springfield. um, and Representative Peter Meredith, who are um, our, you know, our budget, their budget superstars. They showed me, they gave me these big old books and showed me where it was in in Section 11 and where I could possibly pull the money from and how I could do it. And I went and worked with um, Appropriations and came up with it and I talked to the budget chair and the budget vice chair, and they were willing to support it. And when I you know spoke about it on the floor, they got up and spoke in favor um, and it passed unanimously and realistically in that budget meeting, um, in the budget when it, once it went to the Senate, outside of uh, Senator Nasheed, um, our budget chair and vice chair, and Representative Quaid fought for that money. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they fought, and they wouldn't let it go under four million, because they, somebody shot out three million, and he was like, "No,, you know, if we're going to go four, four is as low as it's going to go." So I mean, that was good to get the program in there. As um, pertaining to uh, the relationship uh, with Senator Nasheed, um, you're right, she didn't support me. Um, once we got into the house, we, we had that conversation afterwards. And once we got into the house, it got to the point where, um, you know, we're the minority. You know, so we gotta find ways to work together. And I don't agree <laughs> with, um, with some of the things that she does. Uh, we, we actually go back and forth and bump heads on some things. Um, but we were able to work together. There's a couple other things we were able to work together on. Um, and I, I work with, you know, I'm willing to work with anybody to get to get the job done, um, as long as, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not selling my soul or, you know, being paid or anything else. It's just strictly about the people. So, um, and that's what we were able to do. So.
1: Now, in the midst of all this stuff going on in the General Assembly, especially the last two months, you were, at one point, where it looks like you were running for mayor. Uh, or at least for being encouraged to run for mayor. Can you talk a little bit about that? And what, I mean, because all of this went on over a period of maybe 48 hours. Yeah, I'm, so, right? I'm,
2: I'm super. That's the best question so far. I'm glad <laughs> you. I, really? I've, I've been waiting to address this in the public.
0: <laughs> oh, my um, gosh. Good job, Joe.
2: So anybody that, anybody that knows me um, knows that everything I do is for the people. Period. It's not because of personal gain. It's not notoriety. Um, no, no disrespect at all um, to our mayor. Uh, no, no disrespect at all. But at that point in time, when I got... Before I made that announcement, you wouldn't believe my inbox, my text, my phone... My phone blew. I literally answered the phone almost 200 times um, from my drive from Jeff City to home. Inbox started blowing up. People started talking to other people, like, hey. And people weren't happy. People were not happy. Um, and they encouraged me to run. And I'm going to tell y'all the truth. If I knew, if I knew that. I would be able to to fill the seat in the 78th District um, right away so that my folks in the 78th District could have a representative, I would have still been running for mayor. And the reason it is because at the end of the day, um, I have folks coming to me that weren't happy and felt like that's what um, we needed to do. It had nothing to do with the fact that, it had nothing to do with anything else. I'm not gonna even bring up anything in particular. It had nothing to do with anything else, just the fact that folks wanted another choice. Now, whether other people agreed on that or not, everybody's, everybody has the right to feel exactly how they feel. And if we, in, in this process, in this, this process of running for office, um, they've created all of these avenues for a reason. They've created the write-in avenue for a reason. Um, and so that's that's just what the people wanted, and that's what I wanted to give the people. It had nothing to do with me personally.
0: Well, I mean, the reason it made a lot of news was if you would have run as a run-in, or excuse me, if you would have run as a write-in, I think that Lida Krusen would have had to work a whole lot harder than she did against a Republican. I think that's fair. I even think she would admit that. I'm not I'm not disparaging her her political ability, but. I mean, did you learn any lessons from that? Because I know that. Yeah, I learned a big lesson. Um, find out processes first. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> because because um, the some of the flack that I got, I'm not, I'm I'm just not really used to getting a lot of pushback. So some of the pushback I got was uh, kind of disheartening. Um, when when folks were you know kind of accusing of different things, and I'm like, nah, that's not me. You know, at the end of the day, y'all y- y'all know me. Um, and so to hear some of the things that I heard, that was kind of disheartening, but uh, folks are passionate, and, and I respect that. I will respect that to the end of the day, whether I agree or not, whether they agree with me or not. So um, just really making sure I, you know, cross all my T's and dot all my I's, that's, that's most important.
0: Well, I see you at the Board of Aldermen constantly. So like Senator Nasheed, you pay pretty close attention to city politics and, and city, city policymaking. I know it's only been, what, 30 days, 60 days since the new alderman and the new mayor have, have come in, but they the challenge that they have is enormous. Absolutely. You, know I mean? you drive through the north side, you drive through the southeast side, poverty is everywhere, disinvestment is everywhere, crime is a big problem for a lot of people. I know you're, you're at a state legislative level, and I think that maybe the local level for the alderman and the mayor are gonna be people who are gonna be addressing that. On a more micro level, but how can you work with the city officials to make sure that you are going to Jefferson City and you are getting the, the you are tackling those problems that I just mentioned?
2: Um, by, first off, by communicating, um, actually having a relationship and building relationships um, with not only all of, all of my aldermen, but um, all of my committee people, um, because I feel like in this process, um, these are all important positions, whether paid, unpaid, whatever. Um, the, but forming that, forming that relationship, and I'm still a city resident, you know, um, so I absolutely care about what goes on in the city. Uh, and being able to know not only what we're going through in the 78th or one particular ward, but to know what the city's going through and being able to translate that um, in, in, on a state level, however we can implement it, whatever piece of legislation or program funding or any of these things that we can do from that level um, is, is, is very important and key.
0: So I think this is a good time to turn it over to the audience and maybe have them ask some questions for Representative Franks. Um, just uh, raise your hand if you want to ask a question and, and, and Mary will...
1: Don't be shy.
0: Don't be shy and uh, feel free to say your name as well as your question okay
1: hi hi there um, I'm Stephen Hoffman um, good to see you Bruce and you're doing a great job thank you so much um, it, do you think it's true that there that most of the Republicans across the state um, feel like st. Louis City can just crash and burn and they don't care about what's happening and if that is true um, you know can we either convince them otherwise or what do we do to fight that kind of sentiment of St. Louis doesn't matter to the, you know, to people
2: who are living in in the middle of the state? Um, So I'll start by saying I don't think, I don't, in my personal opinion, um, I don't believe that's true. Um, People care about where they're from. And so some of the rural areas and some of the Republicans, they feel like they've been overlooked um, in their particular counties when it comes to their needs as well. So I think the best way um, to really approach that is by, first off, having these conversations where we're actually talking um, and not combating each other to really find out what your differences are. What's going on in your community, this is what's going on in my community, and this is how we can help each other. Um, for example, one thing that I saw us come together on was education um, when it came to the charter school bill. Um, there are a lot of rural areas who fight hard for public schools and public schools are their number one employer. Um, so that was something that we saw eye to eye on. Um, and so we were able to come together and although it passed out of the house, um, that particular bill didn't get any movement after that. Um, and so I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true, but what I do think we have to do a better job of is communicating with the opposite side and those with, with a difference of views and not just, um, You know, not just going into it with aggression versus aggression, because my conditions are my conditions. The way I grew up is the way I grew up, and that's how I learned. That's how I was raised, and it's the same way with somebody else. And until you present them something different, um, we can't we can't begin this you know begin this combative combativeness until I've explained to you. We've had this conversation. Now, if you just don't care after that, then we good to fight.
0: All right.
1: Thank. Sorry for calling you Bruce. I should have called you Representative Frank No, that.
2: Man, pl- please call me Bruce. I'm I'm much more comfortable calling me Bruce.
0: Matt Carl Schmidt, um, my question is actually for oops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in how your back your background, which is kind of non-traditional in politics, as a musician, impacted both running for office and serving.
2: So actually that's that's a great question, Matt. Um, with music. With music and uh, me being an artist and all the things that goes into artistry, um, marketing and promoting was campaigning. Um, So making sure your face was out there. Make sure you're showing up to the events. Make sure um, your face is on everything and and you're everywhere. That's the thing about being an artist is you want to get your name out, um, and, and I just kind of translated that um, with the campaign. And as far as battle rap is concerned, that really helped me on the floor. Um, <laughs> it helped me prepare, <laughs> you know, because it's just like preparing for a battle. You prepare for, um, you prepare for the bills that you're gonna hear. You, you write down and you get all of the possible rebuttals in your head so you can, so you can be ready to answer those. Um, and, you know, you hit the floor, like Eminem, you only got one shot, so.
0: Before we get to the next question, I just have to ask, what's your favorite rap song of all time?
2: Favorite rap song of all time is I'm
0: Bad by LL Cool J. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That will be the outro music to this show. Next <laughs> question.
1: William Grun, uh, seems like a solution to poverty is to biz- to increase business activity and uh, it's very hard to start a business in city areas because of regulations. Is anyone examining how uh,
2: regulations to start small businesses could be simplified? So I think, um, I think that most of the regulations on small businesses have to do with um, locally, um, what we have in our, our local ordinances and so on and so forth. Um, but I think that's something that we need to revisit as a whole. Uh, because small businesses, you know, small businesses, the, the the heartbeat of our communities. Um, so, any way we can lessen that barrier, whether it's the fees, whether it's the actual process, um, whatever it is, we need to come together to kind of, you know. Put, put everything into a pot and figure out what actually works because some businesses, um, like we have a small businesses, but other folks in different areas have had different challenges in, in opening their businesses. So figuring out what those challenges are first and then attacking it from um, a standpoint of bringing our aldermen together um, to say, hey, well, this is what we can do and, and tapping into the mayor and whatever we can do on a local level. But um, I, think, I think whatever way we can help small businesses and help to create small businesses with less challenges, we should, be, we should definitely be attacking that. All right, next question. Um, hello. Um, I'm Ree Patrick. Um, I was just say, first, as a, as a black person in the city of St. Louis, let me tell you that I'm, I'm very inspired by you, because now I know that someone like me could make it into government and make a difference, and also you inspire me to be more active in politics. But my question for you oh, is... <laughs> my question, yeah, I stood in storm for you, and you won, yay. Um, <laughs> my question for you is, how does it feel to have start, to have been in the streets of St. Louis, been about a rapper, made it all the way to the legislator, and now have completed your first session? It feels right. It feels like it, it feels like for the first time, um, first time in my 33 years, almost 33 years, um, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, and that exactly exactly what was just said is one of the most um, rewarding things about being um, a state representative from where I'm from. Um, I come from 4300 Gibson, you know, and, and when you talk about statistics, you talk about uh, that's what we were in, in, in society's eyes. So to be able to live past that, to be able to live past 18, to be able to live past 21, um, and get to the point where I can actually run for office and I can walk down the street and little black kids that look like me walk up to me and say, hey, I could be a state representative one day. You know, that's, that's what counts, so.
0: Now, regardless of whatever bills that you pass, that may be your greatest accomplishment in politics right there. Absolutely. Next question.
2: Hi, so I, like you, started working in the state capitol in January. Uh, But a big difference between you and I is that I am not a citizen of the United States. I'm a green card holder. Um, So how can someone like you, or how can someone like me, help build stronger allies with my state representatives as someone that is not being formally represented in our legislature at the moment. Uh, because a lot of the rhetoric that I hear on and off the floor is geared towards Missouri citizens. We have to do this in order to benefit Missouri citizens. I'm not a Missouri citizen. Right. Um, how can I work, or what can I do as someone that is not being formally represented uh, with my with my leaders in order to make sure that my people or people like me are being represented? So I think, um, first off, I want y'all to give it up for Pedro, because he's a superstar. Uh, and to answer that, Pedro, is, is really by, um, in my opinion, just linking up with those who you can work with. So somebody like me, somebody like a couple of the other uh, representatives, and, and ironing out what that looks like and making us change um, the way we talk, making us change the way we address things on the floor, in committee, um, in the community, um, so that we can open up that dialogue so people can understand, you know, it's not just, you know, it's It's not just about Missouri citizens. We got folks living here each and every day um, that are, you know, that are amazing, that, that, that are superheroes, that, you know, that help in so many different ways, and we love that they're here. Um, and so, Making us change what that conversation is and making us know what, what we need to be you know what exactly we need to be doing and, and, and what we need to be fighting for, because we don't know everything, and I don't know everything, but my ears are open, um, and, and for the people, I'm willing to try anything.:
0: Next question. Anyone else have a question? Don't be shy. We, we've left a lot of time for questions. I've got,
1: I've got one while they why, yeah. why we encourage people? Joe
0: has a question. <laughs>
1: Okay, um, in fact, somebody who was here, may not still be here, asked me to ask this. But anyway, one of the things that didn't come up this session but often has is the issue of the historic tax credits that a lot of that is used in the city of St. Louis, and also low income tax credits. Now those two tax credit programs together are the bulk of the tax credit programs that uh, are in play in Missouri. I'm interested in your take on the importance of them or not and what you think the future is for those as the state increasingly tries to cut the budget or uh, find ways to reduce expenses.
2: So that was um, one of my challenges uh, one of the challenges of being a new representative, and as well as somebody new to politics, is finding out about so many different things and so many different fights um, and how it affects, you know, folks in the city. Um, and I come to, I came to find out quickly that, you know, our historic tax credits were very important um, in so many different ways. Um, we, you know, we we know how important our, uh, you know, some of the tax credits for our low income um, is, but Historic tax credits was something that were new to me. Um, it didn't come up this year, but we've heard that you know next year they're gonna you know they're gonna try to put. I think that's what they're gonna try to target next year um, is a lot of the tax credits, especially the historic tax credit, because it got it got bought up so much in debates. Um, and so I've made it my business this summer um, and this fall to really hone in and, and learn and. Get as equipped as I can um, to see exactly how I can defend um, our historic tax credits and other tax credits, so that we can, um, you know, so we can keep them intact because they're very important.
0: Have, have we met before, by we the may way? We have met
2: before a little bit here. Uh, I used to edit these guys. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. right. But I also live in the city and in your your district. Okay. So. One thing that I've always tried to figure out is
1: how can the urban areas of this state work together? And what is the urban rural divide that you see in the legislature? And when you come to things like Medicaid and you come to things like food stamps, where it seems to me the rural areas are impacted every bit as much as the urban areas, how do you?
0: bridge a divide that seems to be there?
2: So uh, I hate to sound like a broken record, but you bridge it by communicating. What I see in the house is that um, there isn't a lot of conversation about each other's communities. One of the best things that happened um, was our, our freshman bus tour on our freshman bus tour, we got to go to all of these different counties um, that I would never go to possibly. Um, And we got to learn about what goes on in these counties. What is the number one industry in these counties? Who works here? um, You know, why do they work here? Their community, schools, challenges, everything. Um, And going into the different communities helped me Um, help equip me with what I needed as far as communication-wise to be able to talk across the aisle um, with some folks that aren't from where I'm from um, and and noticing what their challenges and barriers are because that's what it comes down to. The, the, The divide is the fact that we live in two different communities and we think both of our communities are exclusive when it comes to disenfranchisement. You don't know what my disenfranchisement looks like. I don't know what yours look like. So that's what it is. And we can fight all day. Um, But when you have that conversation, I've witnessed um, going back and watching some of the debates and being able to talk about um, what it's like in in my community, I've, I've literally looked at the Republicans and Afterwards, they come up and they talk to me and they have conversations. I had even Warren Love, 74-year-old representative, and he, I mean, walked up to me in tears, you know, saying that I never had anybody explain it like that. I never, I was never able to have a conversation like that. So I really think we, uh, we as a people, as a whole, underestimate um, the power of communication because that's where it starts.
0: Before we go to any more questions, one thing I did want to ask you about, because you were out there in Ferguson as an activist, as a protester. I think that probably was one of the things that inspired you to get into public service. Um, One of the things I've noticed since Michael Brown was killed, whereas other states managed to pass a whole bunch of different laws aimed at holding law enforcement accountable whenever there's a police-involved killing, Missouri basically did nothing besides the SB-5, the Municipal Courts Bill, which has now been pretty much damaged by the courts. And in this session, actually, what they ended up passing, and by they, I mean the legislature, is a blue alert bill, which, which would, would provide sort of an announcement if an officer is attacked. And I think that there was enhanced penalties if a police officer is attacked. So I'd like to get your perspective on that because you know, you, you, you probably weren't surprised that a super Republican legislature would pass things like that. But since that was up top of mind when you came in there, what was kind of your observations when those things passed?
2: So in, in, in the House, uh, we have a lot of law enforcement. Um, a good portion of our Republican representatives are law enforcement or ex-law enforcement. Um, uh, that's my priority. It always be my priority. Accountability. Um, one thing I was able to do, we were able to do. It, w- it wasn't about I couldn't have did it with everybody else without everybody else. But on the blue alert bill. So in the house, you have these bills that come through. You have bills that are priority, and you know with you being in the minority that they're gonna pass. Um, and so some of these bills, uh, we have to kind of kind of have to alter them a little bit and so when the blue alert bill came um i was like hey you know i'm pro law enforcement i'm for law enforcement all day but nobody's against law enforcement but i'm pro accountability um and so they pushed this bill through so i went to the sponsor and i said hey i understand that you know in this bill it has if an officer makes a false complaint um they're charged with a misdemeanor, Class C. So I said, but what happens if I'm the victim of that false complaint and I'm falsely, you know, uh, approached and I end up serious injury or death, which isn't far-fetched to to think about. Um, And he kind of sat there for a minute. I said, well, if it results in serious injury or death, um then it should be like manslaughter it should go up to a felony um and this police officer agreed and i offered the amendment on the floor um and it passed so within that bill i was able to bring some some form of accountability now is that what we want is that the say all be all no um but it's hard it's hard up there especially especially when you get up there and no matter how much conversation we had, they still remember that I'm a Ferguson activist. They still remember that I'm a Ferguson protester and I say it on the floor. Um, and I talk about things that happened while we were out there. I don't shy away from it, I don't hide it, um, because I need you to understand why we're out here um, and why we will continue to be out here. And so it's it's kind of tough. Um, it's kind of tough pushing forward on police accountability from the state level with so many, um, not only officers, but just so many people that are so pro-police that they forget um, that we still got to hold folks accountable and that nobody's above the law. So, but that's not going to stop me from fighting.
0: We have another question from the audience.
1: All all good. I'm yes, uh, Representative Franks, uh, your ascension to Jefferson City is most impressive. Thank you. But you may have noticed in the recently proffered federal budget from the current administration in Washington, there's a carve-out for payday lending and car title lending vendors. I'd like to get your view on the pro- proliferation of payday loan and car title loan vendors in St. Louis. And a quick part two, as a member of the Missouri Clean Energy Coalition, I'd like to know your views on clean energy, the environment, and climate change. Thank you. Absolutely. Um,
2: and so tackling the first part, and I would, you know, I can't say more without saying, giving a shout out to um, our older woman over in the 20th Ward, Kara Spencer. <laughs>
0: Are we in her ward right now or are we in Dan's
2: ward? We're, we're in Kara's. If we walk across the
0: street, that's yeah, Dan's. That's so. why I asked, because the dividing line in some parts of Cherokee yeah. Street is literally the street. But, but continue.
2: Yeah, so uh, Kara has been pushing, uh, Auto woman Spencer has been pushing really hard um, on payday lending, um, the payday lenders and the, uh, the regulations. Now, I, I, I fight with her wholeheartedly. I'm with her. Um, and I think they are predatory. Um, and, and I think we do need to add way more regulations. Uh, we, need to, we need to get it all the way down. Um, and I am thankful for uh, people like St. Louis Community Credit who have, you know, have tried to create different options for payday lending. Um, but what I will say is that when banks aren't lending to poor folks, when banks aren't lending to folks because of the color of their skin or because of their, their economics, then um, folks got to figure it out. And I can remember a lot of times when my mom had to go get a payday loan um, and she had to do it. it there was no other option since Bank of America or no other bank um, lended to her. So it's kind of hard to say, hey, let's just get rid of payday lending when we when we haven't provided um, enough alternatives um, to help fix the problem, um, but they need to be regulated heavily. Um, and if they're not willing to regulate, they need to get out of here. Um, as far as clean energy and everything that involves our environment, um, I would like to, I'm just plugging everybody in. Uh, Sierra Club was one of my first endorsements. Um, And when I say that, I didn't know how much environmental issues tied into social issues um, until I opened my eyes. Um, To know that um, the lead issue, to know that, you know, having clean water, how important having clean water is. Um, and, and how this impacts communities, especially poor communities and economically distressed communities. Um, when it comes to clean energy, uh, you know, with us having so many issues, and when I say us, I mean minorities, um, with asthma issues, um, within when, it, when we're talking about clean energy, like all of these things are very important. And I never... Boom, Couple years ago, I didn't know how important it was, um, but I really thank them for opening my eyes to see how important all of these different issues were, and how how we can tie them in to, to the social justice fight because it, it's all about social justice, and um, it's I'm clean energy is you know is now you know is on my platform. It, it became part of my platform after really meeting with Sierra Club and, and going through the Sierra Club boot camp. Um, and passing, and so I'm, I'm really grateful for them. So yeah, clean energy is something I'm gonna fight for. Right.
0: We'll do one more question. So, anybody else in the crowd have a question for Representative Franks?
2: One more question, anybody?
0: Could be about anything. Anything
2: in the whole world.
0: All right, come on down.
2: Hey, nice to see you.
1: I just wanted to see if you could say something to um, address the
2: missing persons epidemic. I'm the mother of Christian Ferguson, and my son will be missing for 14 years on June 11th, and so I just wanted to see if you can speak to the importance of increasing awareness on all levels. Absolutely. So um, one thing I'm not going to, um, one thing I'm not going to shy away from is the fact that the When it comes to black folks that's missing, we don't get the attention, period. Um, There are a lot of kids um, and young adults that are missing. um, And we just not getting the attention. And we have to come together. We gotta not only come together as a community, um, shouts out to the community members um, that start doing their own searches you know, getting out there saying, we're not going to wait on the government. We're not going to wait on police. We're not going to wait on anybody Um, because it's not against the law. And and if it is, if somebody's mad at you for going and search for somebody's baby, then, you know, that's on them. Um, But we have to come together as a whole. We have to open up awareness from every single level, from our local elected officials, from our state elected officials. We got to reach out to our federal. We got to reach out to everybody, our clergy, everybody who, who's in the community, um, we need to hold their feet to the fire because this affects everybody. Um, and, and, and folks want you to fight for their fights. You know, folks want you to fight for their fights all the time. But what we have to do is stop individualizing these fights and combining the fights because we're better together. I hate to use that term, but we are um, at the end of the day. So, and, and I'm, re- I'm really glad she brought that up because that's been something that's, Um, been heavily weighing on me and and we as a community, an entire community um, need to try to figure it out how we can help because it's our duty to help each other. Um, It's our duty to to come together um, and figure out how we can aid those um, that need the help no matter what the help looks like. Uh, because we all have our talents. We all have our superpowers. And, and I, really, I really want people to concentrate um, on our missing persons issue, especially in our, um, in our black community. Because I don't see too many Amber Alerts when it comes to um, folks that look like me. You know, and, and, and that's just as real as it gets. So I, I think we need to come together. Everybody in this room, everybody in our communities, we need to combine a fight and figure it out.
0: I want to thank our wonderful audience for those great questions. And before we wrap up, I want to give you the final word to say anything about anything that you want. Um, You know, it could be more about how you love LL Cool J. Or you could also just proclaim that Nas won the battle between Nas and Jay-Z, which I believe very strongly. So, But, but I want to give you the, the last word.
2: Yeah, so I'm going to say a couple last words. LL Cool J is not my favorite. It's just I'm bad. Yes. Um, Nas didn't win, and we'll talk about that <laughs> offline. Um, uh, cannabis did beat LL. We'll talk about that offline but um one thing i want first off i want to thank everybody for coming i want to thank everybody for their continued support um and and i appreciate each and every um email text uh inbox just you know telling me to get some sleep or get something to eat or do better or feel good or what do you need so i appreciate all of those um I am happy to be um, in politics, and it's about being a public servant, not a politician. Um, No matter how we define it, I'll never be a politician. Um, I'm a public servant, and I'm here to serve the people. And for the first time, like I said beforehand, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, and I am thankful for each and every challenge and barrier that I've had to face. Um, everything that I've had to go through to get to this point is, is, has, has paved the way for me um, to go to Jefferson City and fight for us. And I, I just appreciate my struggles. And Jason brought up Ferguson. And so I want to end with saying that when we were out there in the streets of Ferguson, A lot of people had a lot of stuff to say that didn't truly understand the dynamics and what we were doing and how things were going out there. It was left up to um, the news. It was left up to newspapers. Um, But when it comes to us fighting in Ferguson, if anybody questions what good came out of Ferguson, what... Important what impactful came out of Ferguson? You tell them, Representative Bruce Franks Jr. Well represented.
0: Well, Representative Bruce Franks Jr., I want to thank you so much for bringing this great crowd out tonight and for agreeing to do this show. For all of our stories, STLPublicRadio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at
1: J Manis. That's J M A N N I E S. And
0: how would people follow you on Twitter or find you on the World Wide Web?
2: Bruce Franks Jr. Just type it in,
0: everything pop up. I'm Googleable. Or Google. (laughs) We'll be back next time, and give yourselves a round of applause.